Howdy, friends. This is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 87 of The Popecast, A History of the Papacy, the only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter and a reminder that all the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Today's episode, as usual, is sponsored by our friends over at Catholic Balm Co., curators of the finest line, let me tell you, of beard balms, oils, lotion bars, and more. Check them out at catholicbalm.co and be sure to enter the word Pope, P-O-P-E, at checkout to receive 10% off your entire order. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the podcast. Our man this episode is altogether unique, and not just because he's the only successor of Peter to have borne this particular name. No, he's actually most famous for something he had no control over at all, because he was dead. That's right, this week on the Popecast, it's the Pope whose corpse was put on trial. Number 111, Pope Formosus. The Roman 9th century was an increasingly messy and sordid place, and our man today lived right through the middle of it, and beyond, as it turned out. Formosus was born sometime around the year 816 AD. It's an educated guess, given a historian noting that he was a man of about 80 years of age at his death in 896, but at any rate, history picks Formosus up for the first time in 864, when Pope St. Nicholas I, also known as Nicholas the Great, assigned him to be the Cardinal Bishop of Porto, a Roman suburb. Although the facts of his early life are now lost, we're at least able to glean that he was a man of not insignificant learning and sound morals based on the few years that followed. In 866, just two years after his appointment, Nicholas had enough confidence in Formosus to dispatch him and another bishop as legates to Bulgaria, specifically for purposes of evangelization and a response to important papal questions there. In fact, the Bulgars were so impressed with Formosus that they petitioned the Pope to let him stay and serve as their archbishop. Nicholas, though surely glad to hear of the mission's success, had to refuse the kind offer for the sole reason that, in those days, church law forbade a bishop from moving dioceses, something that Formosus wouldn't hear the last of. At any rate, the Bulgarians tried again with Nicholas's successor, Adrian II, but the answer was the same. No bishops moving from sea to shining sea, as it were. And the reason for that was twofold. Though there was surely a spiritual element, more important at the time was preventing bishops from climbing the so-called ecclesiastical escalator, as the Popecast's own ordinary has referred to it from time to time. In the decades since Charlemagne's uniting of the Western Empire, the European world in those days had descended more and more into little fiefdoms, eager to carve out their little slice of the pie, and, particularly as you listeners will recall, clergy are certainly no exception. So Formosus for the time being would be staying put figuratively speaking, at least, because he nevertheless became a sought-after papal diplomat following his successful envoy to the Bulgar kingdom, having traveled to France and Trent, among other places, to speak on behalf of the Pope at the time. But things went south when Pope John VIII came to power. He and Formosus initially were pals. John sent his trusty cardinal as part of an entourage to invite King Charles the Bald of France to Rome, where he could be crowned emperor in place of the dearly departed Louis II of Italy. But before long, John VIII opted to excommunicate Formosus on false pretenses, as it turned out, along with another group of men, who had all fled Rome in fear of retribution. Though we'll never know for sure, it seems most likely that John VIII saw Formosus as a threat. The latter, of course, was one of the most trusted allies to both of the prior two pontiffs, and it's said that the two were at odds politically to boot. So even though Formosus didn't seem to oppose the appointment of Charles as emperor, the accusations that John had leveled at him 
that Formosus coveted the Archbishopric of Bulgaria and that of the papacy itself, and had also robbed convents before leaving Rome, both of which seemed out of character given his priors, were enough still to quote-unquote justify Formosus being excommunicated and even stripped of his clerical title to boot. It's entirely likely that the company Formosus ended up keeping while he was in exile was guilt by association too, but either way, the Catholic Encyclopedia notes that quote, such charges made against a man who was religious, moral, ascetic, and intellectual can only be referred to party spirit, end quote. Perhaps a ninth century way of saying fake news, but I digress. Formosus ended up spending the next several years in Sens, southeast of Paris, before he was rehabilitated completely by Pope Marinus I following John's death in 882. And, by the way, see episode 67, the first assassinated pope for his full story. And Formosus made no waves for the ensuing decade, having been happily restored to his old post of Porto. Adrian III and Stephen V followed Marinus I on the papal throne, and upon Stephen's death in 891, Formosus was the unanimous choice of the Roman clergy and people, ascending to the papacy as the 110th successor of St. Peter. His short five-year reign was marked by just a couple significant events. One came from the East, in which the deposition and uncanonical election of the Patriarch of Constantinople, Photius I, a couple of decades earlier had called into question the legitimacy of clergy he had attempted to ordain and the baptisms of those whom he had helped to become Christians. Formosus, in keeping with the same formula any bishop today would abide by, said no to the latter and yes to the former. Any clergy ordained by someone not validly ordained a bishop themselves are by definition not clergy. The pretender bishop was firing proverbial blanks, if you will. But those baptized, given that one doesn't have to be a cleric for it to be valid, were still considered legitimate. Formosus' other significant initiative, as it turned out, would have implications not just in this life, but even beyond the grave. With the old Carolingian dynasty, the noble family descended from Charlemagne, having dissolved into factions over the prior few decades, as I mentioned earlier, fights always seemed to break out over who had the right to the emperor's crown, and it would seem that part of the papacy's high mortality rate in those days, shall we say, had much to do with the pope being the catalyst for that appointment. Formosus's need for intervention was no different. Two men, Odo of Paris and Charles the Simple, were bickering for the French crown. The Pope was pals with the key French archbishop and sided with Charles. Part of this alliance was Formosus being majorly suspect of Guy of Spoleto, the reigning emperor at the time, particularly when Guy compelled Formosus to crown his younger son, Lambert, as co-emperor in 892. And we all know how co-managers work out, don't we? Their opposition grew when the Pope asked King Arnulf of Germany to travel to Rome and help him to wrest control of Italy from co-emperor and co-emperor. The campaign lasted over a year, and at the end of 894, Guy died, leaving Lambert as the sole emperor, under the care of his mother, Agiltrude, who, oh, by the way, hated the Carolingians. The following August, Arnulf made another trek to Rome with an army, this time besieging the queen regent herself and taking control of the city by early 896. On February 22nd, one day later, Formosus crowned Arnulf emperor in St. Peter's Basilica. But the pope, now an old man of 80 years, would only last six more weeks, dying on April 4th, 896. But that wouldn't be the last that history heard of this particular pontiff. Pope Stephen VI, who came to power after Boniface VI's brief 15-day reign to follow Formosus, was a partisan of Agiltrude and Lambert, 
and thanks to their hatred of the recently deceased Pope, Stephen was the man behind perhaps the most macabre spectacle in all of papal history. Officially titled Synodus Horrenda, and more popularly known to us now as the Cadaver Synod, within a few months of becoming Pope, Stephen VI opted to revive John VIII's old spurious claims against Formosus as a pretense to go one giant step further. He commanded that the dead Pope's corpse be dug up, dressed in papal vestments, and plopped in a chair in the Basilica of St. John Lateran to stand trial. And no, I am not joking. For the full story, let's go to historian George Ives from his book, A History of Penal Methods. Quote, The corpse of Pope Formosus, then some months buried, was brought before Pope Stephen and his council and placed, clad in prelate's robes, in a chair of state. Having appointed the corpse a deacon for council, they thus addressed it, Why didst thou, being Bishop of Porto, prompted by thy ambition, usurp the universal sea of Rome? The old man's body, like a monstrous doll, might nod and bend, while the attendants supported it or collapse in a ghastly bundle if they left it alone. But it made no sound, and the deacon would probably be wary in his defense, for there were dark holes nearby, other than the sepulchres. So they cut off its benedictory fingers and cast the corpse into the yellow Tiber. End quote. Now, before all was said and done, granted the Pope's remains were recovered and eventually restored to their rightful place in St. Peter's, but the greatest irony in all of this is the great hypocrisy of Stephen VI himself. If you couldn't tell already, the whole thing was a mere show for some cheap political points. Stephen VI was, after all, guilty of the very accusations he was leveling toward Formosus, who himself had ordained Stephen a bishop in the first place. Plus, if Formosus was indeed guilty of the crime of coveting the papacy and holding two bishoprics at once, Stephen VI's own ordination would be invalid, and he would be guilty of the same thing. And besides, Stephen's show trial didn't even work the Romans were so disgusted by the ordeal that a mob threw Stephen in prison pretty immediately right afterwards, where he was strangled to death not long after. At any rate, it certainly makes for a good story, and is a perfect illustration of why we, here at the Popecast, insist on telling people to calm down at the state of today's world, that it's all happened before, and will happen again, by all sides. Okay, setting that aside, for a bit of a fun fact to wrap things up. In the history of the papacy, there have been precisely 13 instances of a year of three popes, as they've come to be called. One calendar year, where cardinals end up having to convene for the election of not one, but two new popes, due to the middle one's untimely death. Well, the end of the ninth century was so rough for papal life expectancy that there were two of those years right in a row. The second and third in history, in fact. The year 896 started with Formosus dying, followed by Boniface VI, his two-week reign, and then Stephen VI's election. When 897 rolled around, Stephen was strangled to kick things off, after which came Pope Romanus, who only had time to annul all of Stephen's actions before being deposed after three months, and finally Pope Theodore II, who himself didn't actually even live to see the dawn of the year 898, having died just 20 days into office. Well, that's it for the story of the Pope whose corpse was put on trial. We really hope you enjoyed it, especially if you're a new listener. Please, if you haven't already, leave us a rating and review over at iTunes. We do have a new review actually to read uh, that we're very grateful for. Uh, if you leave us a review, uh, even a bad one, as you saw from the last episode, we'll, we'll gladly read those out. Uh, but I think you'll enjoy this one too. So uh, five stars, history and context is the title of this one from JDBH17. Not sure how I found the Popecast, but my favorite part has been the historical background and context of the Popes. As I've learned more history 
I've learned the waves of sanctity and debauchery that have flowed through the years, and seeing where various papacies have fallen during those eras has been fascinating. I've also loved the connections of the popes with each other before they became pope and with other various historical figures, both saints and sinners, rulers and religious. Keep it up. As I look at my finances, I'll see if I can donate, but I'm also heading back to grad school soon, so I'm grateful this is still available for free. Well, yes, thank you again for that excellent review. Uh, Great to reiterate exactly why we do this, right? It's not uh, a hagiography. It's not just a simple glorification, uh, a papering over of the bad parts of the papacy, but, uh, you know, presenting everything in their, their full flavor, if you will, because... You know, it's easy to panic, look around at the state of the world and think this is the first time this has ever happened. The world is ending. Let me tell you, I'm here to say it is definitely not. And just one quick look at people history tells you that. Uh, and then on that on that note, too, uh, a thank you again to all of our patrons who support the show, most especially our newest patron, Caitlin, and to those who up their pledges, uh, their pledges recently as well. Without you guys, we could do none of this uh, as as um, the gentleman who left the review noted the podcast will always be free to listen to and we don't we don't ever want to change that so your patronage does help us to cover the various costs that come with producing a show like this so if you'd like to join the community and help ensure that the podcast is around long into the future please visit patreon.com slash the podcast that's patreon.com slash the podcast and as we head out today let's remind ourselves again to be thankful that anything sordid we encounter today has already happened far more throughout history than we'll ever know Human weakness is a perpetual reality, but grace is even more so. These are strange times we live in, but they are no stranger than in ages past. Until next time. <laughs>